Let's stand. Good morning, Grace Point. God bless you. Wasn't the praise and worship awesome again this morning? Bless the team. We love and appreciate them. Today we're going to be talking about Christmas. How about that? It kind of looks like Christmas around here. And so we're just calling this Christmas. It's God's glory and it's our peace. Can you say amen to that? Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. You have your Bible want to read with us. We'll put it on the screen for you as well. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Can somebody say amen to the reading of God's word? And so I want us to look at these verses because especially the last verse, is a little bit different, I think, than mainly the Christmas cards portray what God was saying uh, to be. And uh, this is the most amazing passage. If we receive it in the way that God intended it, for what God did changed the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do love you, and we are so thankful that we are loved by you. And we give you praise for that today. We thank you that Jesus Christ... Our Savior, our King came. We thank you for that today. And we give you honor and glory and praise. And we join with and in the praise of those angels, that angelic host. And we say glory to God on the highest. God, we give you praise for the peace that you brought when you brought forth your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn around smile somebody real big. Tell them they're looking mighty Christmassy today. I just want us to look at just a little highlights of these verses, just little parts of it that sometimes I think this, this little passage is so uh, familiar to us, I think it's easily read over. Uh, it's become so familiar that when maybe we've missed something that's contained in this, these words. But it just says, for there is born to you. This is all, it's so uh, appropriate um, what was said today, that Jesus is the reason, but you're the reason. Because if it wasn't for us, Jesus wouldn't have came. And that must make us pretty special in the sight of God. It says, for unto us, uh, there is born to you. It's to you. It's a gift from God. And it says, this day. Everybody say, this day. See, it happened on a day. Now, we're pretty convinced that it's not December the 25th. But it did happen on a day. Probably wasn't December 25th. We believe the Bible hints that Jesus was no doubt born on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles and circumcised on the eighth day of that feast. But it happened on a day, a day in history. Not a day in some mythological, imaginary story, but a, but a real day. And, it, and not only would it happen on a real day, it happened in a real city. It says in the city of David. It happened in a city, in a real city, not in Narnia, <laughs> not in Middle Earth, not in a galaxy far, far away, but it happened in a city. I looked this up on Google because that's the kind of pastor I am, I told you. And he was born in a city that's 6,450 miles from Valdosta. I looked it up this morning. The city that he was born in still exists today. It's a real city. It's a real city just like Valdosta. The city's name is Bethlehem. Beth means house. Lehem means of bread. The bread of life was born in the city in the house of bread, Bethlehem. 
It's also called the city of David. That's where the great king of Israel was born. It's six miles from Jerusalem. Bethlehem is still there. It's still a city today. And this city that our Savior was born in was prophesied by the prophet Micah. It's pretty obscure passages, but in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Micah the prophet said in verse 2 of Micah 5, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. That prophet pinpointed the exact city, a city that wasn't even, nothing hardly wasn't even considered a village at that point, but that's where God chose to make his entry into the world. He wasn't born in some hallowed halls or some cathedral or even a synagogue or coliseum or in some king's palace, but he was born in a manger. He was born in literally a cave where animals were being stored from the cold with the smell of manure in the air. You see how easy it is to miss God if you don't look for him. I tell you, he's still birthing things in mangers and places that you wouldn't think he would show up. He's showing up in those places. It says that he's a savior. It says, born unto us in the city of David, it just says these were a savior, a savior who is Christ the Lord. If you've ever committed one sin, then you need a savior. Because the Bible said the wages of sin is what? Death. And so if you've ever had committed one sin, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to be 100% accurate. Everybody in here needs a Savior because everybody in here has committed sin. But if you've ever committed one sin, then I want you to know that that death that that sin brought, God came to be your Savior. He came to save you from that, to save you from that death. The angel, when Mary was with child, that angel, Gabriel, said to her, a spoused husband, Joseph, in Matthew one twenty one, he said, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. His name means Savior, Yeshua, Savior, Messiah. Not only is he a Savior, it says, it says, who is Christ? Who is Christ the Lord? So he's not only a Savior, but he's Christ. And Christ is the English word Christos, which means the anointed one. He's the anointed one. He's the one that was long predicted. He was the one that was long awaited for. The prophets had prophesied that he was coming. Israel had cried out for his appearance. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those that were under the law. God sent his son, the anointed one, He's not just a king, but he's the king of kings. He's anointed king. He's the chief cornerstone. He is the end of the priesthood because now he is the high priest of God. He is the chiefest of the chief. He is the supremest of the supreme. He is the alpha and he is the omega. He is the first and he is the last. He is the Lord. He is not just savior and not just the anointed one but he says christ the lord and not only is he a lord but he's a lord of lords because somebody say amen boy it'd be easy to just take off on this right here now i'm having to discipline myself but he's the lord of lords he's he's the lord of the universe he's the lord of all things because god made him so i love the song the new song they sung this morning and uh is in my notes because it says in him all the promises of God are yes and amen. Boy, they was confirming my message, didn't even know it. All the promises of God are yes. None of God's promises are no. If you can find a promise, the answer is yes for you. There are no no's for you. In the, all the promises of God are yes, and the word amen means let it be so to me. It's personal to you, all of his promises, because in him... Those that would put their trust and their faith in him, he would fulfill all of their promises and all their dreams. 
if they would just trust in him. He would accomplish more than anybody, even the prophets had ever imagined that he would accomplish. He would accomplish more in his life and in his death than anybody ever dreamed possible. He would not only uh, cover sin, he would remove sin as far as the east is from the west. And he accomplished that. He's the Lord of heaven, and he's also the Lord of the earth. The Bible says in Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born, and unto us. Notice it keeps saying unto us. It's because of us. Unto us a son is given. A child was born, but God gave his son. A son is given. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would just believe in him, you don't have to perish. You can come into everlasting life, into an everlasting kingdom. And it says that unto us a child is born, a son is given. And it says the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Come on, somebody. And to the increase of his government. Everybody say increase. He's never had a day of decrease. He's never had a recession nor a depression. To the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He is the Lord. He's the Lord of a never-ending, ever-increasing, ever-expanding government and kingdom to which they shall never be no end. Can somebody say amen? Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 2, verse 13, it says, and suddenly. I like them suddenlies in the Bible. I need more suddenlies in my life. I'm talking about the good kind of suddenlies. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. And what were they doing? Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, this word multitude here, see, it, it seems to me what we have here is we have one angel, one angel delivering the news to these shepherds who are watching their flock by night. We've got one angel doing the talking because you can't understand a bunch of people talking at the same time. But we've got one angel announcing this good news one angel is bringing the news, but apparently one angel is not sufficient to respond to the news. Because once that one angel, it says, gets through telling the news, it says then suddenly we've got a multitude of angels that are there to respond with praises to God to that good news. The word multitude there is where we get our English word plethora. It means an excessive amount. It means the amount in Greek that is uncountable, not measurable. That's how many angels God said needed to be around. Once this news is announced, he says they need to be that many angelic beings there to celebrate that good news. And when they heard that one angel announce and proclaim that good news, all of those angels burst into praise before God. And they started saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. We need to join in with them angels. We need to give God praise. Because of this news, because unto us, a son is born in the city of David, a savior. He's the Christ. He's the Lord. That's what Christmas is about. That's, that's what it means to us. And see, the scripture right here, this is on so many, verse 14, Christmas cards. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be. But even though it's so familiar to us, there's so much misunderstanding about really what was God saying through, these, through this angel. Some translations of the Bible here say that they were proclaiming, this angel was saying, goodwill among men and, uh, or peace to men of goodwill, some translations renders it. Uh, but this passage has been interpreted by most people in the church to say Jesus was bringing peace on earth among people. And they want peace to be at Christmas time where, in other words, folks not fighting one another. And, and in times past when countries and nations have been at war, they would at least have a ceasefire for one day on Christmas. 
And many think, well, that's what God was saying. He was just wanting people to get along and, and for there to be peace uh, among men. But that's not why these angels burst into spontaneous praise and glory to God. Because if that interpretation of this passage in this verse 14 is true, then Jesus' own words in Matthew 10, verse 34, 35, and 36 would contradict this that the Father was saying. Because Jesus said there, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I didn't come to send peace on earth. He said, I actually, I came not to send peace, but a sword. He said, for I have come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be those of his own household. That doesn't sound like peace at all, does it? What Jesus is saying is that the people that believe in me and accept my truth, a sword divides. There's folk that don't like it because you serve Jesus. Even if they can tell you they don't like it because you serve Jesus. I've had folks cut off fellowship with me, in relationships with me. Some folks have lost their jobs because they chose to serve and live and put their trust and faith in Jesus. Amen? But prior to Jesus' coming, the Bible shows us that there was wrath from God against mankind for his sin. That didn't start happening until the law came. But once the law came and man said, we're going to keep this law and we're going to be judged by our ability to keep this law, then the wrath of God we see in the Old Testament. Paul called it in Romans and Corinthians, he said the law is a ministry of condemnation and of death. That's what the law brought. God never gave the law because he ever expected one person could keep it. He gave the law so man can know that they could not come up to God's standard for righteousness and holiness and that the only person that could keep that was God himself. So God chose to become a man and that he in his life would live and keep the law and then accredit our accounts that we had kept it through him. And that's called being justified. Justified before God, declared righteous before God. And that's exactly what 2 Corinthians 5 and 19 in verse 21 says, it says that God was in Christ. You know this is some of my most favorite verses. That God was in Christ, and then it says reconciling the world unto himself. And notice what that looks like. Not counting, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And has committed unto us the word of what? Reconciliation. You know what that word means? Peace. For he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God. When you reconcile your checkbook, I've told you before, you are bringing it in harmony or in peace with what the bank says you have. You are agreeing, trying to get your figures to agree with what the bank says you have because you know they're the ones that's right and you're the one that's wrong. Is that right? Unless they made a mistake and you count another thousand in there that they say you got, you don't ever call them and tell them. Just say, I'm just going to let that lay right there. Hopefully they made a mistake on my benefit. What God's trying to get you to do is for you to believe what he wrote. Because when, when God said peace on earth, he said toward men. And so what God's talking about here is not men getting along at Christmas time. God is saying with the announcement of that angel to those shepherds that the war on sin is over, that I'm declaring peace. You ever had somebody tell you, make peace with God? Make your peace with God? There is not a man on the planet can ever make peace with God. And because we could not make peace with God, God made peace with us. And God was in Christ. And God reconciled the sin of the world unto himself. And God declared peace over the issue of sin. And God said, I'm not even going to count or impart or impute your sins against man any longer. Most of the church don't even know this or don't believe it. It's too good of news to be true. They don't believe that the war over sin is over. Does that mean that, you know, somebody said, well, it sounds like you're just saying we can, you know, sin freely. Well, that's the spirit of stupid. You don't want, sin brings death. No matter who does it, whether it's a saint or a sinner doing it. So God don't want you to do things that hurts you. 
No more than a parent wants a child to do something that would bring harm or hurt to them because they love them. But that child still has a free will. If they want to stick their hand in the fan when it's running, I mean, they can find a way to do it. Chop up their fingers. It's going to cause them a lot of pain. But God is, God's not the one doing it to you. God's always there. God is the one that God was in Christ reconciling, bringing peace or harmony with the sin of the world. You know, when John the Baptist saw him, didn't he point at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God that does what? The sin of the what? Just those that confess their sins? No. He said the sin of the world. So as far as God's concerned, now listen to me, this is such good news, and I know you've heard me say it, but maybe somebody's here or listening that hadn't heard me say it. And they get real nervous about this. And I know, you know, there's people that don't, they, you know, they don't like this. They don't, you know, they get upset about it. Uh, but, but sin isn't a problem with God anymore. Nobody riding up down the road is God angry with. If they've never been to church, never read a Bible, never even uttered God's name except to blaspheme it, God's not mad with that person. God's not angry with them. And all the hell and the problems and the hurt that may be going on in their life, it is not God punishing them. Sin has its own problems. That's why that sin's going to be destroyed before this thing's over with. I mean, it'd be eradicated totally. But Jesus took it away. He didn't take away people's ability to sin, but he took away the power of sin to control and have dominion over man any longer. That's what Jesus did. And I tell you that all the time. But a lot of the a lot of church, they don't understand. See, it, it's the church that's made the major deal about sin. And it's made, it's made us more sin conscious than we are Christ conscious. And, and, and Jesus is the power that was released on the cross at his death, burial and resurrection. That, that, that sin no longer, Paul said, has dominion over you. That's what Jesus did. See, what he did on the cross was better, more powerful than anybody ever believed. You know, the Bible says this in John chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Uh, John 12, 31, 32, it says, Now this is the judgment of this world. And everybody say judgment. Now Jesus is about to go to the cross. Now listen to his words. He, he, he's, he's, almost, he's about to go to the cross. He's making some of his last statements and prayers before he'll go to the cross. And he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who do you think that is? Who's the ruler of this world at that time? Satan is. So Jesus is not saying in the future time is going to be the judgment. He said, now it is. And he said, right now, I'm going to deal with the ruler of this world. He's going to be cast out. He's going to be cast out. And then he says in the next verse, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all, and then the New King James says peoples. The King James Version says uh, uh, men. I will draw all men to myself. Let me tell you what you've all heard in the church about that verse. That if we lift up Jesus appropriately, then all people will be drawn to Jesus. That's not true. Because all people are not drawn to Jesus no matter how good you preach or how much you lift up Jesus. I'm not saying we shouldn't lift him up, but that's not what the verse is saying. If you look at the verse in context, what's, God, what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about judgment of the world and dealing with Satan, is he not? Men put verses so you could find them, but Jesus is just talking here. Jesus didn't go, well, I'm going to speak verse 31 here and then I'm going to say verse 32. Jesus is talking and man put the number so we can find it quickly. But in the context, Jesus said we're talking about judgment of this world and the ruler of this world, which is Satan, being cast out. And Jesus said, this is how I'm going to do it. If I'm lifted up from this earth, and, and it says he was speaking about the manner in which he would die. He said, I will draw all. Now, how many has got a King James or a new King James? It won't show on that screen. But the word peoples there or the word men is italicized. Now, what have you and I learned about that in our Bibles? It's not in the original language, is it? And so that's the translator saying, we added this ourselves. We put this in because we felt like it. Or we think this would make it better. Or we think this is what he was really saying, but he didn't say it. So the verse really reads, and I, Jesus said, if I'm lifted up from the earth, he's talking about on the cross, will draw all to myself. All what? 
What's he drawing to himself when he was lifted up on the cross? He was drawing the sin of the world to himself. That's God. You ever see these lightning rods on top of these buildings and uh, structures that are high up? They put lightning rods. And why do they put them there? Because they, the, when that lightning strikes, they want it to strike that rod and not the building. And so it draws that lightning to itself. What Jesus was, was Jesus was like, just like that. He, he, he was like a lightning rod. And he drew all of God's wrath for sin to himself. He said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all of this judgment to myself. See, that's why the, the Bible talks about uh, that in, in Isaiah 52 and 14, that, that Jesus' uh, physical appearance, listen, it said he was marred more than any other human ever. He wasn't recognizable as a human. Now, we, we know that that could not have happened to him just because of physical beatings. Because the Bible goes on to say that not one bone of his body would ever be broken. Is that right? So you can't beat somebody till they are unrecognizable as a human and not break some kind of bone. Face bone, cheekbone, jawbone. I mean, if, if he was beat that badly, he was beaten. Make no mistake about it. But what I'm trying to get you to see is this is more than a physical thing that Jesus was bearing in his body on the cross. The Bible said he bore our sicknesses. He bore our diseases. The chastisement of our peace. It was on him. He bore all of those things. And so I believe that when Jesus was on the cross, you can't get that uh, uh, disfigured, uh, you know, all the sin of the world. Him who knew no sin became sin. I can't explain it. I can just tell you what the Bible says. Him who knew no sin, had no sin, he actually became sin for us. He became what we were so we could become what he is, the righteousness of God. So he became the sin, and he became that lightning rod, and all of God's wrath on sin was poured out on his son on the cross. So God has no wrath left for sin because if God's judging you for your sin, then that means Jesus didn't bear your sin. Or that means that, that Jesus bore the sin, but God didn't think the price was fully paid, and now he's judging you for it. In the court, they call that double jeopardy. You can't try two different people for the same crime. you got to make up your mind who you're going to charge. Well, why is all this going on in my life? Because you're making bad decisions. I know you get tired of saying it, but I can't think of a better example. But if you go rob the bank today, you know, wait till tomorrow when they open. But when you go rob the bank, you decide you're going to need Christmas money and nobody's going to give you a bonus so you're going to take one. So you go rob the bank, then you're going to get in a lot of trouble for that. They're going to have your picture on the news. They're going to look you up and hunt you down and they're going to charge you with it. You're going to go to the jail. You're going to go to the courthouse and you're going to go to jail. You're going to go to prison. But don't ever imagine that God did any of that. Well, I'm paying for my sin. No, you're paying for your dumb decision. Jesus done paid for your sin. Well, is it a sin for me to, to steal? Yes, yeah, a sin, but it's already been paid for. Wait now, preacher, you mean all my future? You mean sins I ain't even committed has already been forgiven? That's what I've been trying to tell y'all for 10 years. Yeah. And then right now, I didn't hear the church bows up. You know, not this one, but those on watching me on, you, you know, whatever. Forgive future sins. You better pray if future sins have been forgiven. Because how many were your sins future when Jesus died? Selah. <laughs> that means pause, reflect, meditate. All of mine and your sins were future. So if, that, if mine and your sin wasn't dealt with on the cross, then that means we need to be having prayer services, asking Jesus to come back and get back on the cross again for us. But Jesus paid for sin, the noun, the, the entity, that thing called sin. Jesus paid for it. And God's not imputing, God's not keeping a record of your sin. And if you could get that in your mind when you go through tough times, you wouldn't be sitting there thinking God's trying to get you. 
And if you go to the wrong church and listen to the wrong preacher, that's where you're going to live. And you're going to think if you know you, that God, you know, and somebody said, well, you know, you're just giving people a license of sin. Come on, man. I, people have been doing a good job without license, best I can tell. People don't need my help to sin. They're they doing pretty good on their own. This won't give you freedom to sin that I'm telling you. This will give you the liberty and the freedom for sin not to have dominion over you when you believe what Jesus accomplished. You know, I used to hear even a great, great preacher. He's gone on now, but I'm talking about worldwide and on. And he used to make this statement often. He would say, if God doesn't, you know, soon judge America for, for her sins. And sometimes he would say the sins, particularly of homosexuality. He said, if God doesn't hurry up and judge America for her sin, then he'll have to resurrect Solomon and Gomorrah and apologize to them. And everybody would holler, amen, and yay. And, and that, that quote has been reprinted and printed hundreds of thousands of times. And much of the church believes it. But if God ever did judge America for her sin or any other nation for her sin since the cross, then God would have to apologize to his son and say your sacrifice and your blood and your death was insufficient and did not accomplish what I sent you to do. Somebody said, well, I feel like I'm paying for my sin. You can't pay for your sins. It's already been paid for by Jesus. You can, you're suffering consequences of bad decisions. If you're hammering a nail and miss the nail and hit your thumb and, 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 and burst your thumb open with a hammer, God's not paying you back because you sinned the day before. You just wasn't paying attention and you hit your thumb instead of the hammer, the nail with the hammer, right? But a lot of the church don't, well, I know, I know the Lord. You know, I've had so many things over the years. I've had couples. This has happened numerous times. Couples would sit in my office, and they, they, you know, they were praying for a child, and, and you know, the wife got pregnant, and they had a miscarriage. And the baby, they lost the baby. I don't know how many times over these years I've had couples sit in my office as a pastor and sit there and weep and say, I know the Lord, you know, I know I'm just paying for my, my sexual promiscuity in my former years. I know I'm just paying for what I've done when I was a teenager or how I lived or what I've done. And, and, and it breaks my heart to hear them because they believe that. They're crying about it. They believe God's paying them back. They believe that they're reaping what they sowed. When the Bible, this is a whole other message. We'll do it another Sunday if y'all want to. But reaping and sowing is not what you've been told. When the New Testament talks about reaping and sowing, it's talking about money. It's not talking about in the con. Yeah, you reaping something that you didn't sow, you're reaping the benefits of Jesus when he sowed his life as a seed. And you get to reap righteousness because you didn't sow any. Neither did I. And you're reaping what he planted. He's that kernel that died and went into the ground and brought forth much that we would have the benefit. But yeah, there's consequences today if you do things that are not this against nature. It brings hurt and it brings pain. And God doesn't want that. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's a frivolous thing. But all the murder, all the perversion, every vile, rotten sin imaginable, all sickness, all disease, everything known to mankind like that came upon Jesus Christ on that cross. He liked that lightning rod. He drew all of that uh, to himself. And, and I know that, it's, you know, a lot of the religious folks, they, they don't like this, but it's true. Sin has been dealt with by God. That's why that when Jesus was on earth, he, he so aggravated people. Because remember, listen to me. You remember that, that when Jesus was preaching that day and they tore the roof off and they lowered that guy in on the cot? Anybody remember that besides me in the Bible? I'm going to buy all y'all a Bible for Christmas so y'all can read the Bible and say amen when I preach. Y'all remember that story? If you don't now, if it's to preach it to you, that'll be another whole sermon. How many remembers the story now? Now the hands are going up. Okay. Tore the roof off, they lower him down. All right. Why do you think his buddies brought him to, to, that, to Jesus, climbed up on the roof with him on the flat, tore the, the tiles off, and with ropes lowered him? Why do you think they did that? What do you think their motive was? Oh, it's not hard, y'all. I'll just sit down here. Y'all let me know when y'all get an answer. Why y'all think that? 
So they wanted him healed, right? So they brought him to Jesus so that he could get physically healed and he could get up and walk with them and be better, right? Okay. So when they lower him down, do you think Jesus was smart enough to kind of figure that out? And so he's preaching. It actually said he was preaching. And he stops preaching because you can't preach. If somebody started tearing the roof off, I would probably stop preaching. So he stops preaching, and they lower this guy. And the first thing that Jesus says to him is he says, man, he points at him and says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Is that what he said? He didn't say nothing about healing. Didn't say anything about that. He said, man, that's that man, that one man right there, that man, you the man. <laughs> man, your personal, your sins are, not will be, not future, your sins right now are forgiven, and in case you're not real clear on this, you. So we got a whole bunch of personal man, that's you. Your sins, not, not this one, man, your sins are, right now, present tense, are forgiven. You. And the scribes and the religious crowd, just like they do today, when they hear somebody preach the truth of the gospel, they get mad. And the scribes and the Pharisees that sit by says, who does this man think he is? Only God can forgive sin. Well, that was God doing it. Because Jesus was God. Emmanuel, God with us. Who does this man think he is? Jesus said, let me ask you a question. Which is easier? Is it easier for me to say to this man, man, your sins are forgiven, or to say to this man, sick of the palsy, be healed? He said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth right now to forgive sin, I say unto thee, to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately he stood up and he took up his bed and he walked his way. And Jesus was saying, if I've got the power to bring a paralyzed man off of a cot, you need to believe in what, you believe that because you can see it, but you need to believe in that that you can't see, that I'm the one that has power on earth to forgive mankind of all their sin, and that's why I'm here. And do you know why a lot of people are paralyzed? Oh, no, some not physically, but many of us are paralyzed with fear and anxiety, and anxiety attacks and and, and all kind of emotional problems, depression and oppression, and we are paralyzed because we don't know what Jesus told that man. You don't know. And it's not because I'm not telling you, it's because you don't believe it. You don't know that you, man, woman, teenager, you, sir, your sins are Forgiven you. God's not mad with you. God's not against you. God's not punishing you. God's wrath is not on you. And if you would believe that, you would rise up. You would take up what's been taking you down and you would walk with newness of life. You would walk in the new and the living way. Of Jesus, you would walk with a new victory, with a new spring in your step. Christmas would mean more to you this year than it's ever meant before in your life because you would know that your sins are forgiven you. They're not forgiven you because you cried and asked for it. They're not forgiven you because you've played, uh, done penance. They're not forgiven you because you've suffered. They're, for, they're forgiven you because Jesus suffered, because Jesus died, because Jesus became sin, because Jesus bore the wrath of God. Jesus did it. That's why. It's not based on you. Your salvation is not based on your ability to remember every sin you commit from this day forward. And if you fail to confess one of them, then hell is your home. That's a religious lie that will torment you, keep you in fear and in bondage and anxiety every moment of every day of your life. And that's not the good news of the gospel. The good news is the bill has been paid. The debt has been settled. The score has been settled through Jesus Christ. Glory to God. 
Now join them angels, giving God praise. Glory to God on the highest. <laughs> Give God some praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. He's worthy. That's what Christmas is about. Glory to God. Now you know why them angels was happy. Now you know why it took multitudes and myriads of angels to give glory to God in the highest. Because you know why? Because God said, on earth, I declare peace toward men. There's no anger, there's no wrath in my heart anymore toward men. Because I sent my son. And he is here to take sin away between me and my creation. And all I want them to do is to believe the good news of that and then be empowered with the indwelling presence of my Holy Spirit and let that power cause them to live their life for me. That's what Christmas is about. God says peace. God says peace. Peace really is threefold. It's like that threefold cord. The first peace we need that we're all desperate for it's what I've been preaching about, peace with God. It's foundational, peace with God. And, and because we couldn't achieve it or, 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 or obtain it by anything that we would do, God declared peace on our behalf. So peace with God is not something you achieve, it's something you receive, it's something you believe, that you have now peace because God has declared peace. And God, there is no more war. There's no more war. God says, peace on earth toward men. I have peace towards you now. My son has bore all the wrath, all the judgment. The wicked one, he's been cast out. His power has been broken. His control and dominion over you is no more. Just believe. Peace between God and man has now happened because of Jesus. And then the second one. Once you know and believe that, what I've told you, that your sins are forgiven, and you see, and, and notice that man that Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven, he never had opened his mouth. What's all that church folk going to do that says you've got to confess them to get them forgiven? Jesus must not know what he's talking about then because that man never said a word, and Jesus told him his sins were forgiven, and he never even asked for forgiveness. The woman caught in adultery. You don't get caught in no more sin than that. She drug out the adultery bed. Jesus forgave her. She never asked for forgiveness. He said, woman, where's your accuser? She said, I don't have any. He said, neither do I condemn you. Now he said, go and live like you really are. Go and sin no more. How can people even think that they can go and sin no more? Because you receive first the free gift of no condemnation. Because Romans 8 and 1 says that there is now therefore no condemnation. You know that same word translated in English condemnation is the same Greek word that means punishment? You are unpunishable as far as God's concerned. You can punish yourself. You can stick your own hand in the fan. You can do ridiculous stuff and cause a lot of pain and trauma to your life, to your marriage, to your finances, and all that stuff. But it's not your heavenly Father that's behind it, nor does he desire it, nor has he ever planned one day of horror in your life. He loves you. And that's why he came. Man, that's some good preaching right there. I'm buying this CD myself. Because we now have peace with God, because he says we do, then now for the first time, I can have peace with myself. And that's the second level of peace that we all need. We just need peace with ourselves. Man, when you just lay down and know that you're at peace, because I have peace with God, I can now have peace with myself and do what Domitia was exhorting us, stop striving and rest in his promises. And lastly, thirdly, the peace we need is we've got peace with God. Second, peace with ourselves. And third, peace with others. Now, this is the one you have the least control over. I admit it. But we have to be sure to say it like Paul says it in Romans. He says it like this. He said, for as much as, as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. 
be at peace with them. As, as much as is humanly possible with you, you do that that lends itself to peace. Now, Christmas is a very challenging time of year for a lot of families because you have to see your family, maybe. <laughs> and you might not be thrilled about it. You might, you might want to see mom and them, but you, want to, you don't want to see brother and sister and them that will be coming to mom and them's too, or whatever your story is. Now listen, some of those hurts you have with those family and friends, some of those hurts are real old. Now some of those hurts are really new. Some of those, and some of us here, you know what you have to do this Christmas, no matter how hard it may be to you. You know what you got to do to bring that peace. Now, some of you, you're, you're, you know, some of us are you're just you're baffled by why your family hates you, or why you know you don't know what to do. But as much as possible with you, be at peace with them. Try to do that that brings peace in your home, and and, and just. Listen, instead of being so focused on the hurt and the wrong that's been done to you, how about this year focusing on the, the sin that's been forgiven each of us? <laughs> let's be amazed by what we've been forgiven of ourselves. Let's let that be the focus. And let's be amazed because let's just be blown away and amazed by grace that's forgiven me of all of my sin and, and all of the hurt that I've caused instead of me focusing on what somebody's done to me. Let me focus on what the Lord's done for me. And try to, I believe that'll help us all to be at more peace with one another. And I know I'm just like you, I think, in a lot of ways. Man, this ministry, I look back on my life, and I think sometimes, you know, if I hadn't have been a preacher, I mean, one time many, many years ago, when I started Cornerstone Church in Sparks in March the 10th of 91, I left the church where I had been saved at 12 where all of my family went, my brothers and my sister, my mom, my dad, my uncles and my aunts, they all went to that church. And I never asked them, and I had no problem with the church, and I love the church and still do. But all I did was hear God. And in March of 1990, he spoke to me to plant a church in a little place called Sparks, kind of like a manger on a back street underneath a water tank, bad location. Not the best building started out in. But I prayed with God for a year. And I remember I started it. And some of my family got so angry with me. Some said, even said, they didn't say to me, because they knew I'd knock them out. No, I'm just, they didn't. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. They said it to, you know, my grandmother or something. They said that he won't last six months. In six months, he'll be right back here at our church. Some got mad in the denomination because I didn't stay with the denomination. And I don't mean they just got mad. I mean they wrote me off. I'd been in that church since I was 12. Now I was young married. And I would pass them in the grocery store aisle, and they would not speak to me no more. That so confused me because at that point, young in ministry, I was gullible and thought that everybody that called you brother or sister meant it, but I found out they don't. I thought we was all on the same universal team with Jesus, and even though we might have had a different jersey, mine might have been a cornerstone, theirs might have been Church of God or Methodist or Baptist, but we were still pursuing the same father. Now, man, that hurts. And I remember I, I, I took on that hurt for a long time. It started poisoning my preaching for a little bit until, until God used a prophet in a service out of town one night to talk to me. I'm glad he did it out of town so he didn't have to say it in front of my home church. But I felt like I was an F-16 flying low, bombing everything. <laughs> and my preaching was started getting a little bit mean. Because I was reacting to the meanness and the hurt that had been done to me. Hurting people hurt people. That's why you got to get healed. And the only person that can heal you is Jesus. 
And I remember I was in a service and the prophet called me out, and I believe in prophets. A lot of things are pathetic and not prophetic, but there are some things that are prophetic. And this guy said to me, God says, for I'm taking the sword out of your hand and I'm putting in the sickle. For it's about the harvest and not the hurt. I said, I hear you, Papa. Just help me here to be healed of the wounds and the hurt. It's been done. Help me, Lord, to receive that peace. And so I started, stopped trying to straighten out everybody and just try to reach in with the harvest and tell people about God and how much he loves them. And so began my journey of grace. Still on it, still learning, still growing. Wouldn't change it for the world. So when you gather around this Christmas, my greatest desire for you this year is that you'll experience and know personally that peace that God has given to you as a gift. Peace on earth toward men. That includes you. And secondly, that you'll have peace with yourself. And just know that everything's all right. God's not mad with you. And thirdly, when you look around at friends and family, and you may think they don't like it, and they might not. But just be at peace. Forgive them seven times 70. Just keep loving, because love never fails. Just keep loving them. Just keep doing as much as possible with you. It's always easy to run, hide, say, I ain't going to be involved with it. But if you're not careful, even as Crawford taught us that Sunday that he preached in here, you'll try to get away from all that. But what you'll end up doing is building you a, a wall and a prison for yourself to be captive in. So tear down those walls this year and try to love those family members. Even if you have to do it through Skype or on a phone call or however. You know those you didn't send the Christmas cards to last year? Go ahead and spend a stamp. Go ahead and send them one this year. Let them be shocked that they got one from you. Just reach out. See what might reach back to you. Amen. Father, I love you today. And I thank you for this congregation and this house. And we thank you for the peace that you declared, that you purchased, that you gave to us on the cross. May we all receive that peace today in Jesus' name. I love you, church. You're dismissed. God bless you. We love you guys. God bless you.